0: You're listening to Getting Lit with Linda Mora, the podcast where we welcome you to get lit. Canadian lit, that is. Join Linda as she talks about authors in Canada and sometimes with them, using her expertise to shed some light on recent and not so recent writers. And now, get ready for Getting Lit with Linda. Hi, this is Linda Mora, the writer and host of Getting Lit with Linda. Co-producers Marco Timpano and I were extremely pleased to have learned that Getting Lit with Linda is a finalist for the People's Choice Podcasting Awards. Keep your fingers crossed for us, dear listeners. We'll find out in October whether or not we make the win. Given all the hype recently, I caved and went to go and see the Barbie flick that everyone's been talking about in both critical and appreciative ways. I chatted with my friends about it and heard from them about the consumerism it's certainly appealing to, how Mattel was trying to renew the popularity of Barbie dolls for the sake of its own profit, and how the movie lacked a certain measure of complexity, and how the movie didn't really do justice to matters related to sexual orientation or trans representation. But I also heard about how it covered a range of feminist ideas, and about the appeal it makes to transforming representations of masculinity and femininity. So I went on my own, and I did appreciate both its merits and failings while I watched the movie. Whatever criticism I may have had, what I personally loved about the movie was the knockout performance by America Ferreira. And I won't say much more for those who haven't seen it, so that I won't ruin that for you. But I loved this key speech that she gives where she addresses the patriarchy. I swear I almost hollered out, amen, in the middle of the theater, because I thought her delivery was so moving, so striking, so exact. It really addressed those who are deeply affected or are victims of the patriarchy. What I love about some of the trans writers whose work I've recently read is, is how their work calls attention to the complexity of gendered representations and how it invites us to understand the importance of not just making changes, but also undergoing real transformation that we are conscious of and can live with. Not an easy task. Last year, in 2022, I spent a few months in Vancouver. It was a fairly significant upheaval and involved substantial change, for example. But moving is a change that doesn't involve transformation, or at least not necessarily so. Anyway, I loved being in Vancouver and was happy to have made it in time for the Vancouver Literary Festival. I love attending such festivals, by the way, because I get to hear the voices of authors whose work I know and love. But then I also get to sit and listen to new voices. Well, last year, I learned that Vivek Shraya's play, How to Fail as a Pop Star, was slated as part of the schedule. I had heard about Shraya and learned about her work from an academic paper that author and professor Aaron Wunker had published, and I've been fascinated by Shraya's work ever since. The tickets, alas, were sold out. Still, I managed to attend her talk with Martha Lederman that was scheduled just after the event, and it was wonderful and funny and touching. One of the things that became clear as I sat there and listened was the difference between the notion of change and real and positive transformation. Shreya is a trans writer. Trans and gender nonconforming writers are often invested in making spaces for non-normative expression. They even defy stylistic conventions or writerly conventions for the purposes of trying to get at greater sense of accuracy of self-representation, and, of course, for paving the way toward transformation. Shirai is one of the more prominent of these writers in Canada, in addition to being a visual artist, filmmaker, and musician, who released her first album in 2002. She came out as a trans woman on February 15, 2016. Currently a professor at the University of Calgary, Shreya is also a person of color whose publications have been internationally distinguished. Her work, for example, has been shortlisted for the Lambda Literary Awards, get this, on no less than seven different occasions. Her first book, God Loves Hair, was published in 2010, and it consists of 21 linked stories that focus on the racialized queer experiences of a child of immigrant parents. In other words, Shreya often makes links between sexual orientation, gender identity, and race. That book was followed by She of the Mountains in 2014, in which Shreya also explores questions of sexual orientation. She contextualizes this work in Hindu mythology, which she calls upon to explore the real harm that has been done by the limits we place on gender and sexuality. A couple of years later, her debut poetry collection, Even This Page is White, was published and awarded the Publishing Triangle Award, and then longlisted for CBC's Canada Reads. I love this collection. It's divided into five sections, titled White Dreams, White Speak, How to Talk to a White Person, The Origins of Skin, and Brown Dreams. In each section, Shreya explores how whiteness determines identity, demanding painful interventions by racialized subjects. As is indicated by the title of the collection, most of the pages are, in fact, white, or that is, bare. The lyrical poetic text is featured in these condensed passages compressed on the lower third right or left-hand side of the page. Why? because the poems are meant to reflect visually the experiences of racialized trans subjects who are often pushed to the margins of white collective experience. Shreya has since published I'm Afraid of Men, which directly addresses her transitioning. She acknowledges that the independence and self-reliance she enjoyed beforehand as a man, for example, was a byproduct of male privilege. But then she expressed frustration at not being feminine enough to bypass the social scrutiny to which she is still often subject, and which was also tied to creating and performing and perfecting her own versions of manhood. One of the sections of the book, titled simply, You, creates this cumulative sense of you, who participates in these different scenes and shows us how much identity is actually driven by the context that we find ourselves in. Each context explains how and why the speaker is compelled to act, why that sense of you is actually plural and not singular. All you need to do to understand this is think about how you, my listeners, experience a different sense of you in a public space or a private space, in a work context or a familial one. In this case, the speaker is adapting to expectations of what is considered desirable. This kind of transformation is not what Shreya is advocating. Again, think about the images that were presented with in the media about desirable body shapes and sizes. But the speaker notes here, those expectations also create paradoxical desires that speak to the impossibility of accommodating the demands of a largely white heteropatriarchal culture in North America. So, the speaker addresses the longing to be both, quote, wanted and left alone, all the while reprimanding my body for not conforming, for never quite looking buff or white enough, end quote. She's vigilant about avoiding a range of behaviors that may draw attention to her nonconformity and her femininity. So Shreya's identity is what we would call intersectional, that is, we have to consider the different factors of identity at play in determining who we are. In this case, gender and race intersect and play a role. She realizes that her brownness adds another layer of queerness, rendering her even, she says, too queer for gay men. She then proceeds to gain weight after her submersion in gay culture because being thin as a man is perceived as unappealingly feminine and because gay men will find me desirable only if I'm muscular. So she's constantly trying to shape and reshape her body to find some source of validation to change and change again. This part is altogether too familiar and I have a feeling many of my listeners will understand and feel the same way. Well, for the speaker here, shaping her body offers different kinds of validation, protection from straight men and or affection from gay men, for example. The speaker muses that it's virtually impossible in this context to, quote, love a body that was never fully my own, end quote. The book highlights how competing needs and desires create irresolvable pressures, the desire to be noticed and desired, but not to be devalued and dehumanized. It's enough to make anyone experience frustration at trying to strike the impossible balance between the two impulses. If anyone has watched that recent Barbie flick, just think again of that most amazing speech by Ferreira that I referred to at the outset of this episode. You'll know what I mean. Laying claim to her femininity becomes essential, as is recognizing the need to reimagine masculinity in ways that are healthier and productive, and ultimately celebrating non-conformity in relation to gender. Let's just say that the movie Barbie is a few steps shy of making this kind of argument. Well, in 2021, Shreya developed this theatrical production that I didn't get tickets to see, titled How to Fail as a pop star. It features several songs written and performed by her including showing up, which explicitly remarks upon how even in not quite making it or breaking it I'm quoting here from the song, the commitment in showing up matters to the work at hand. I have a link in my show notes so you can hear or see her performance of this song. The corresponding play of the same title, published by Arsenal Pulp Press in 2021, traces her journey toward almost pop stardom, as it also reflects her hybrid and unorthodox artistic approach. The journey lays bare the kinds of expectations in making it as a pop star, which involves an implicit critique of the very ideological systems that inform both our expectation about who might qualify as a pop star, and the limits to such stardom. Shreya makes it clear that the belief in meritocracy is actually an illusion. It's not necessarily about the best who make it in the biz. The very fact that she's increasingly developing an appearance as a Caucasian woman in response to racialized conceptions of desirability confronts those expectations. Well, The intersectional concerns of Schreier's work mean that she considers more than just matters of sexual orientation. She also reflects on matters of race and cultural heritage. In the story The Judge, which appears in How to Fail as a Pop Star, Schreier recounts a direct confrontation with a contestant assessor about her own performance at a singing competition. So, during the competition, the assessor responds to her performance, commenting upon the inadequacies of her self-presentation. Notably, nothing to do with her voice. The advice is that Shreya should wear leather pants, you know, like Ricky Martin. This incident inspires her to consider whether not having worn those leather pants might have been the cause of her past losses in local contests. So, she frames her lack of success that build on this notion of difference. She observes for example that she was part of the Mickey Mouse Club along with Justin Timberlake and Christina Aguilera and Ryan Gosling, but has had less success presumably because, quote, I'm not white. She may even be recognized for her talent, she concludes, but never on her own terms, rather for her collaboration with white artists. This production was followed by her book, People Change, published by Penguin in 2022. And this is the one I really was leading up to for today's discussion. The title of the book, People Change, is suggestive. It's both an injunction, people must change, and an observation, people do change. The latter implies the need for acceptance as others explore their need for transformation even as that need may seem to work in conjunction with the strictures of the patriarchy. Unlike change, transformation, she posits, is an opening for self-discovery rather than something monstrous and frightening. But how afraid of it we all are. Sharia sees preoccupation with physical appearance as both a political act of change and of conformity, sometimes simultaneously, especially in relation to the beauty industry. The trans body becomes key to this discussion, especially when the body is subject to criticism or when it's invalidated or when accusations are made of a lack of authenticity in relation to changes in one's physical appearance. No, she argues, it's probably more productive to own such changes as part of a trajectory related to an ongoing dialogue about and process of figuring ourselves out. Rather than spending time criticizing others, maybe we should spend more time doing exactly that, figuring ourselves out. In the end, Shriya demands that we respond to change in ways that are socially responsible and that come with an awareness about how we are exploited. And gaslit at every angle. If the beauty industry were a person, for example, she Riley notes, our relationship would be classified as abusive. Transformation may also be, she realizes, a function of self-effacement or lack of self-approval. We might internalize or, that is, take in ideas of homophobia and racism that have translated being queer and brown as ugly or cruel. So figuring ourselves out and finding ways to accept the bodies we have or need to have is an opportunity to take one's own destiny into one's own hands for the sake of growth, for restoration, and for reinvention. This is the takeaway portion of the podcast. I've said it in other episodes, and I'll say it again here. I love the work of Shani Mutu. She's one of the first authors to have represented trans characters in novels such as Serious Blooms at Night, published in 1996 and shortlisted for the Scotiabank Giller Prize, and Moving Forward Sideways Like a Crab, published in 2014 and longlisted for The Giller. There are many reasons why I love her novels, but this is one of the reasons why. The latter novel, Moving Forward Sideways Like a Crab, involves the protagonist, Jonathan Lewis Aidey, who is in search of his mother, Sid, who vanished from his life when he was nine years old. He undertakes a literal and metaphorical journey to reconnect with Sid, and discovers in the process that she has become a refined man named Sidney. This novel thus also involves various forms of transformation, including and especially that of the narrator and his relationship with Sidney. That's it for today's episode. Please join me in my next one in which I talk with Amy Jones about her new book, Pebble and Dove. As always, thank you for listening, my dear listeners. That was Getting Lit with Linda, hosted by Linda Mora. If you have a topic you would like to hear covered, write to us at gettinglitwithlinda at gmail.com. Until next time, we hope you continue to get lit.